0: Luke chapter 23 verse 32 follow along as I read there were also two others criminals led with him to be put to death and when they had come to the place called Calvary there they crucified him and the criminals one on the right and the other on the left and then Jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they do And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. And then one of the criminals who was hanged, blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today, and as we open up your word, God, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open up our hearts. We thank you for your word and its power to transform. And we thank you for just the love of God that is so powerful to grab a hold of. And, and it's reach so great that there's no one, no individual that is beyond his, his, its reach. And we pray today, Lord, that we would see that and be reminded of that and encouraged by that reality as we look at this story in Jesus' name. Amen. An elderly woman was coming out of the grocery store after having done her grocery shopping. And as she approached her car, she noticed that there were four men sitting in her car. Well, she quit pushing her cart and she pulls a large handgun out of her purse. She walks up to the car and she yells, she screams at these men to get out of the car or I'm going to shoot. Well, these four guys didn't need a second invitation. They got out of their car and they ran like mad. Well, the woman proceeded to put all of her groceries in the back seat. She got into the front seat, but then there was a problem. You see, her her key didn't fit in the ignition. You see, her car, the same make, same model, same color, was parked on the same aisle just four rows down. So she put all the stuff in her car, quickly drove to the nearest police station, and went to report what happened. She's talking to the sergeant at the counter who just starts cracking up, and he points down to the end of the counter where there's four men reporting a carjacking by a crazy old woman. (laughs) Man talk about a case of mistaken identity talk about being at the wrong place at the wrong time well in the passage before us today we find jesus in a place that no one thought that he would end up on a cross But it's exactly where he was supposed to be, surrounded by exactly who he was supposed to be surrounded by. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we want to notice today is our our passage tells us that Jesus was crucified between two criminals. I want you to picture this. Two men, hopeless, heartless, and Christless. But one of them is going to get a promise that that day he would be in heaven. Now, this might be a startling statistic to some of you, but 25% of Americans have a criminal record. That means one out of every four people that you meet has a criminal record. Now, I know that that's the story of many of you in this congregation. In fact, that's one of the advantages that I have from being up here is I'm able to look out and I see all of you and I know a lot of your stories and I know that that is the work that you had a past that that you ended up in in jail or some of you even ended up in prison, but Jesus has radically transformed your life and that's such an amazing thing. These two men, these two criminals... The word in the Greek for criminal here means that that these were evil working men. That these these were bad dudes. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what they did. Luke doesn't even tell us what their names were. But it's interesting, two of the other gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, tell us that these guys were robbers, that they were thieves. The word there is bandit. And don't think of petty thieves here. These guys were much greater than that because the word that's used to describe them in the Greek speaks of those who would kill and then take pleasure afterwards in hurting, abusing, and even killing their victims. And we know that in that culture, crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst of the criminals. So these are two very evil men. And the Jewish people, when they looked at at crucifixion, they thought that anybody, because of a passage in Deuteronomy that says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, that people that were crucified were actually cursed by God. So here we have Jesus The innocent crucified with these two notorious criminals. And I want you to just I want you to just let that sink in for a moment. Jesus the innocent. Jesus, God in human flesh, on a cross with two of the most notorious criminals in the land right next to him. But you know, this is exactly where he was supposed to be. This wasn't accidental. This wasn't random. It was actually intentional. It was part of the plan of God. Because we read in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet writing 700 years before this would say that Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. In other words, it was always going to be a part of the plan of God that when Jesus died, he would die among criminals. Why would that be a part of the plan of God? Well, the Bible tells us about this about Jesus, that Jesus was the friend of sinners. Isn't that amazing? That was his title. That's others looked at him and said, he was, he's the friend of sinners. I wish more of us had that description about our lives. He's the friend, she's the friend of sinners. But this has always been the style of Jesus. Think about his birth. He's born there in a stable, laid in the manger. He's born amongst the animals. Talk about divine humility. God in human flesh comes to this world, not born in a great, awesome hospital, but in a manger. He's, he's born among the animals. He dies among the criminals. He's born in a cave. He dies upon a cross. This is the friend of sinners dying for sinners. That's the first thing that we want to consider. The second thing we want to note is that Jesus endured public ridicule. In verse 35, it tells us that the rulers sneered at him. If you're really the Messiah, come down from there. We're told in verse 36 that the soldiers that were there mocked him. In Matthew's gospel, he tells us in Matthew 27, verse 39, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, remember Jesus said that, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So those who are just walking by are mocking him. And then Matthew says, and likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders, this is the whole religious community they said he saved himself or saved others. Himself he cannot save. If, if he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said that I am the son of God. So the religious leaders are mocking him. And then Matthew adds this. And the robbers, plural who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. I mean, just when you thought it couldn't get any lower, these two guys crucified on both sides of him are also mocking him, reviling him, blaspheming him. And then Luke gives us a clue as to what was being said by one of the robbers. Look at verse 39 again. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him. That means he's railing on him saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But then suddenly a miracle happens. One of the thieves has a change of heart. And we see this in verse 40 when it says, but the other answering, rebuking him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? In other words, you and I deserve what we're getting. But this guy, he hasn't done anything wrong. And he says to Jesus in verse 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Talk about a sudden change of heart. Talk about going 180 degree change internally. Instead of mocking, this guy stops and he rebukes the other criminal. What happened to this man? What happened? I think his eyes were opened when he heard Jesus pray this shocking prayer. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Who prays like that for their enemies? who prays like that for their accusers who prays like that for when, when somebody offends them i mean, think about when you're driving and somebody recklessly cuts you off do you pray like that <laughs> father forgive them they don't know what they're doing no we're like that idiot what's wrong with you i mean that's that's what we're saying it's like the little boy who said to his mother mom Why do all the idiots come out when dad's driving? (laughs) We don't pray. Or if we pray for them, we're praying, Lord, let them get a ticket. Lord, let them get a flat tire. We're not praying. Lord, keep them safe. Lord, just bless that guy today who's in such a hurry. No. But Jesus is so different from us, isn't, isn't he? While Jesus was doing the greatest work on earth, dying for our sins, he was uttering the greatest words on earth, Father, forgive them. Again, let that sink in for a minute. So amazing. I think when the thief hears Jesus pray in this way, it startled him. It got his attention. It got him thinking, who is this man? And maybe, just maybe, he could forgive me. And we see that this thief on this cross gets radically converted. And I want to note just four quick things about his conversion. First of all, he confesses his guilt. When he says to the other guy, he's saying, look, we're getting what we deserved. We, we, we deserve this punishment that we get. He's confessing his guilt. At first he was blaspheming Jesus, but then all of a sudden he's rebuking his friend. He suddenly is thinking about his eternity. He's struck by the fear of God and the fact that he knows that one day he's going to be standing on this very day before a righteous judge. And that's really what the fear of God is. It's the acknowledgement, I'm a sinner, I'm sinful. So he confesses his guilt. That was number one. Secondly, he trusted Christ. Look at his words. He says, Lord, Lord. He calls him Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And there's a lot of first in this. He says, Lord, he doesn't he doesn't say, "Hey you." He doesn't say, "Hey buddy." Or "Hey boss." And you know, people this is like the big or the common, you know, the thing now. Every everybody younger than you calls you boss, right? You know, he doesn't even do that. No, he says he says, "Lord," He acknowledges Jesus as Lord. He recognizes that though this man, Jesus, was about to die because no one would ever survive crucifixion, but somehow he has the sense that this isn't the end for Jesus, that Jesus is going to live on in another kingdom. And so he believes that Jesus is the Lord. He believes that he's a king. He believes that he has a kingdom. That's pretty clear Christology for a criminal, isn't it? I mean, there's a radical eye-opening that is happening here. The third thing we see is he made it personal. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, you have to make it personal. Salvation is never, ever a package deal. There's no two-for-one specials when it comes to salvation. It's not, well, you know, my parents, they were really strong Christians. I guess I'm okay. Or my spouse, man, she's one of those Jesus freaks. I'm going to give in on her coattails. No, you have to make it personally. You have to personally trust Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, As many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. But you have to receive him. He confessed his guilt. He trusted Christ. He made it personal. And the fourth thing he did is he made it public. He said this loud enough where Jesus could hear it and those around the cross could hear it because Luke wasn't there and somebody gave him reference. Somebody passed this story of the thief on the cross to him. So we see this great conversion. This guy confesses his guilt. He trusted Christ. He made it personal. He made it public. This is a true deathbed conversion, we could say. And I want you to notice Jesus' response. Jesus offers these gracious words of hope when he says in verse 43, and Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 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 That's a very interesting term for heaven. Paul the Apostle also used this same phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He talked about being caught up into heaven, and in that same passage, he refers to heaven as paradise. And paradise is a very, very unique word because it's a, a a word that was used by Persian kings in that culture to describe these walled, beautiful gardens that these Persian kings would have made. And it was a very, very special place. And when a Persian king wanted to honor someone, they would invite them and give them this title. They would invite them into the garden and they would call them a companion of the garden. It was the way of the Persian king of saying, you know, I I want you to be my special friend. And you can come and you can walk with me in my garden and enjoy my garden. And it was a privilege that was reserved for only a few. This is a great picture though of heaven for us. Because heaven's not just a place of golden streets. It's not just a place of, of mansions. It's not just a place where there's no more death and no more tears. Heaven for us is going to be the ultimate in intimacy and companionship with Jesus. And we get to walk with him and talk with him and be with him. The Bible says that when we go to heaven that we're going to see Jesus. Right now, you know, our, our relationship with God is like at a distance. we see dimly the bible says you can't see jesus a lot of times we 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 don't we can't feel him but when we go to heaven we're going to see him face to face and the bible says we're going to see him and we're going to be like him how incredible is that This great invitation that the Lord offers the hope of heaven, and not just to a few, but to anyone who puts their faith and trust in the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for their sins and rose again from the dead and gives them life, is that anyone who would confess their guilt and their sin and their need of a savior, anyone the Bible says who calls Jesus Lord, The anyone that says, I want Jesus to be my king, the hope of heaven belongs to them. And notice the word Jesus uses here, today. Everybody say today. Today. You'll be with me in paradise. It's not after a thousand years of soul sleep. No, no, no. Is there any hope in that? You're going to die and you're going to like go to sleep for a thousand years and then after that you're going to go to heaven. Some people believe that. Now maybe if you like naps that sounds appealing to you, but (laughs) now today paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the lord so here's these two men think about this both dying next to jesus both of them have equal opportunity to be saved jesus is an equal opportunity savior there's two men they're as close to jesus equally as close they both committed the same crime they they, both of them were reviling the same lord and one of them dies saved and the other one dies lost both had the same opportunity but there's two different outcomes and you know why because proximity and opportunity don't guarantee eternal destiny Just because you were close, just because you observed, just because you heard the truth, just because you were exposed to the truth about Jesus, that doesn't save you. You have to make it personal. This thief on the cross made it personal. And the salvation of the thief on the cross is one of the greatest demonstrations of salvation by grace, through faith, apart from works that there ever is. This thief wasn't baptized. He didn't go to church. He doesn't say a sinner's prayer. He simply believed. And that was enough. You know, the Barna Research Group did a a, uh, survey a while back, and this was the result of it. It was called, What Americans Think It Means to Be a Christian. 10% of Americans think that it means to be a good person. 11% think it means to go to church and be religious. 14% think that it means to love and help others. Let me ask you this. Did this thief on the cross do any of those things? No. He simply believed and Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. This notorious thief gets radically saved, and it's a reminder to us of what we're told in in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that Jesus, that he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And someone has put it this way, he's able to save to the guttermost. I love that. The worst of the worst. You know, pastor and author Max Lucado shared that one of the greatest struggles he ever had one of the most difficult truths that he ever had, the, uh, had to come to grips with was the greatness of God's grace to save somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer. Remember that guy? Jeffrey Dahmer, he was a Wisconsin murderer who not only murdered his victims, but he raped many of them, dismembered them, and ate them. Sorry to be so gross. But think about that. That's what that guy did. I mean, we're talking depravity at its lowest. But you know, Jeffrey Dahmer's going to be in heaven. He got saved in prison. Roy Radcliffe was a local pastor who was invited to come and baptize a prisoner. He had no idea when he came to the prison that the prisoner who wanted to be baptized was Jeffrey Dahmer. He ended up spending months meeting with him every single week, discipling him, talking to him about Jesus. And he came to the conclusion that, that he was like, man, this guy is it's like, it's, it's incredible, the transformation. It's interesting. Dahmer told him this, though, that he was afraid that he wouldn't come because he thought that this pastor would think he was too evil. And Lucado said, you know, I struggled with the idea. I mean, I know that Jesus is Savior, but could he save somebody that bad, that vicious of a criminal? And he finally said, I've come to rest in the truth that forgiveness for criminals like Dahmer is at the very heart of the gospel that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Skip Heitzig tells the story of going to new york he was going to speak there and he got a a message that there was a prisoner in the in jail and prison there in new york who really wanted to see him his name was david berkowitz remember that guy berkowitz is one of the most notorious criminals in american history he nicknamed himself the son of sam because he says i'm the son of a monster I'm the son of Sam. He went on a horrific killing spree before he was finally arrested. And by his own admission, he was involved in the occult previously. And when he was finally arrested, he was sentenced, get this, to six life sentences. He was sentenced to 365 years in prison. That guy is also today, 67 years old, still in prison, radically saved, leading Bible studies. In prison. He listens to Pastor Skip on the radio with other inmates. And then they talk about the Bible study that he gave. And he's given himself a new name, the Son of Hope. Isn't that amazing? And Pastor Skip talks about how blown away he was when he went to visit him. And just the transformation, the Jesus that he saw in this man. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Now, for for many of us, those stories are hard to identify with because we think, well, I'm not a criminal. I've never been arrested. Some of you are like, I've never even had a ticket. But you know what the Bible says? That all of us are criminals. Because we've all broken the law of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken one of his commandments. That makes us, in God's eyes, criminals. Criminals. Have you ever put something ahead of God in your life? That's breaking three of the commandments. Have you ever wanted something that someone else had? That's breaking the commandment of not coveting. Have you ever told a lie? Even just a white lie? You've broken a commandment. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Well, Jesus said, if you're angry with somebody without cause... You've committed murder in your heart? Well, I've never committed adultery. Well, if you if you Jesus said if you look on someone with lust in your heart, where you're fantasizing about being with them sexually is what that means. You've committed adultery. What's the point? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all sinners in need of forgiveness. And the good news is is that Jesus loves criminals of all sorts. And he came to die on the cross to pay the price for the sins of everyone who's broken God's law, and that's all of us. That's everyone who's watching today online. Or who'll be watching this later. But Jesus offers forgiveness and grace to us all. I'll close with this story. There was a father and son living in Madrid, Spain, who got into a fight. They were so estranged that the son finally ran off. He was in his 20s, didn't talk to his father for over a year. And his dad was so missing his son and felt so bad for this argument that they had had. And so he took out an ad in the newspaper there in Madrid. And the ad said this, Paco, this is your father. I want you to know that all is forgiven. Please meet me on Tuesday at the post office there in the middle of the city. On Tuesday, 600 young men named Paco (laughs) showed up at the post office hoping to receive forgiveness. Common name there in Spain, I guess. What does that illustrate? The need that every person senses in their heart I need to be forgiven. Greg Laurie always says that we feel guilty because we are guilty. But Jesus came to remove our guilt and shame. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And salvation is available to anyone who would put their faith in him, who would, like this thief on the cross, confess their guilt, confess their sin. Who, like this thief on the cross, would believe in Jesus, that he's the Lord, that he's the king, that I want him to be my king. Who would make it personal. You know, we quote John 3.16 all the time, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We need to make that personal. For God so loved me. For God so loved you. That he gave his only son. That he wanted relationship with you and relationship with me that he went to that length to save us, to make it so that we could be his children. That There's nothing that any of us in this room has done that God would say, oh, you went too far. No. So we, as we confess our sin, as we believe in him, as we make it personal and we make it public, Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And if you've never done that before, I know a lot of you have, but if you've never done that before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Or maybe you're here today and you have professed Christ at some point in your life, but then you've walked away from him and you've been living for yourself. And right now you sense God's Holy Spirit is just calling out to you. Respond to him today. He loves you. He died and rose again to save you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for the work that you did, that you are the one who is able to save to the uttermost, that you take away guilt and shame, that you offer forgiveness and grace. And Lord, I pray for anybody here in this room, anybody watching online, who has never put their faith and trust in you, who's maybe even thought, I've gone too far, that right now they would know that you love them and you want to save. I pray, Lord, for anybody here who maybe has professed their faith in you at one point but has walked away from you. They've been living in rebellion. They've been doing their own thing and they winded up here today to hear this message and you're speaking to them right now about how you love them and you want to invite them to walk with you in this intimate relationship. We love you, Lord. With our head bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask right now, if you're here today in this room and you want to respond to the invitation of Jesus to give your heart to Him, maybe it's for the first time, maybe it's a recommitment, maybe it's to come back to Him. You want to make it public today that you want to be a follower of Jesus. You want to have that hope of heaven. You want to have that, that guilt and shame just removed. I'd like you just to acknowledge that right now by just lifting your hand up so I can pray for you and pray with you. Anyone at all that would say, yeah, that's me. God bless you. Anyone else? All right. God bless you. For those of you who raised your hand, I'd like you just to repeat this prayer. After me, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. That I need a Savior. I'm a criminal. I've broken your law many times. But today, I'm putting my faith in you, my trust in you. I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me to cleanse me, to come into my heart and make it your home. That, Jesus, I want you to be my king, my Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. As we wrap up our time today, we have the opportunity right now for all of us to make this public because we're going to receive of communion today. And we're actually going to uh, to spend a little bit of time here before we run out we have some time. And I think the Lord would have us just to bask in the reality of his love. So we're going to sing a few songs, and as you feel led, you don't have to do it during this first song, but as you feel led, you can make your way up to the table to receive of the communion. If you need some prayer, there'll be people up front on our prayer teams that will be available if you would want somebody to just pray over you or pray for you today. But we want to just bask in the vastness today of the love of God for all of us to think about what it means that he saved you, to think about what, what you know he's delivered you from, to think about this beautiful, intimate relationship that he desires to have with all of us. We want to take some time to do that right now. And we're going to begin today by singing that song that, that we've been singing the last several weeks called Love is One. And, and there's a part in this song, in one of the lines during the chorus that says, and there is therefore, there is, Therefore, no condemnation because love is one. And, and you know, every time that we sing that, some of you, I can tell, you, you want to just rejoice. You want to just shout at the reality of that, but you, you feel like, I can't do that. I'm telling you, you can, okay? If you're just like, yes, yes, there's no more condemnation because love is one, feel free to rejoice in that. This is what this time is for, to rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. So the communion elements are up front. There's two things you pull back. One has the cracker, the bread that represents his body that was broken for us. And then there's the cup that represents his blood that was shed to cleanse us. And let's just rejoice as a body right now in the vastness of the love of God that reached out and has touched every single one of us. Amen? Let's do that.